Hello, and welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I am your host, Ben Shaw, and today's show is sponsored by Sun-Powered Yachts, because there are so many benefits of having solar on your boat. Clean, quiet, abundant power. And today's panels are so much more efficient than ever. If you already have solar panels, you might want to consider upgrading. And if you're looking for new panels, solar controllers, wiring, or other solar gear, or even just someone to talk to about installation and upgrades, you should contact Lyle and Katie at Sun Powered Yachts. They really know solar, and as sailors themselves, they cater to the boating community. Now, I met Katie and Lyle at the Richmond Boat Show a number of years back, and I had Katie on the podcast, on episode 10. You can go listen to that. And after talking with both of them, I knew that without question, I would reach out to Sun Powered Yachts when it was time for me to upgrade my panels. And I have recently installed two new Maxion 415-watt panels from Sun Powered Yachts, and they are fantastic, putting out more power than I've been able to use so far. They allow me the peace and quiet of going for days without running the engine. And for listeners in the Bay Area, this is key. Panels are available for pickup in Hayward, California, which will save you so much on shipping. Find out more and order your own panels at sunpoweredyachts.com. Well, this week I'm talking with Mary Swift Swan, the founder of Afterguard Sailing in Oakland. Afterguard is only one of the three sailing schools that Mary's founded. She began teaching sailing in 1984 and became the very first woman ASA instructor evaluator. She has literally written the book on ASA instruction, helping write the ASA curriculum for the 101 and 103 courses. Mary shares with us how she's been exploring the waters of San Francisco Bay since she was a young child and sharing that love of sailing with others, all without yelling. Here we go. My name is Mary Swift, and my writing name is Mary Swift Swan. I've been on the water since I was four. So that's a few years, like 69. (laughs) (laughs) My parents bought a powerboat, a Chris Craft, a couple years after we moved to Walnut Creek. On the powerboat, when we would go up into the Delta to go fishing or we would go explore parts of the bay, everything made sense. My dad said there's a place for everything and everything has to be in its place when she leave dock so that could, everybody could find stuff. We all knew where the emergency equipment was. I have a event memory. And so any place I've been, I can get back to. So I became the navigator for the boat. <laughs> That's great. <to laughs> everybody have. had a job and no one could harass each other or sass each other back to where <laughs> it was non-functional. So our Irish family stopped bouncing off each other and we just started working together as a team and it was awesome. So even at at four, it made sense on the boat, more well, so than at home. How many people were in that family? I had two older brothers and okay. mom and dad. So you were all on the boat together? Yeah. yeah. That's something that appealed to you, that order? The way that we worked together as a team just synced. It mm. really felt 
great to be a family that really functioned in any situation. When the situation would get dicey, challenging, a little scary, everybody got calm and stayed with their job and backed each other up. So you say you can't you can't miss with something like that. Yeah. It's just it's really bonding. It's it's a great experience for a family in particular, I would mm-hmm. imagine. You mentioned having an event memory. Tell me about an, an event where things got hairy that you remember as a child and when I was 8, there was a time frame and I haven't researched it to find out exactly what went down, but My dad said that the industrial uses of the waterways had taken a pause to see the result, and the bay went clear in a couple of months. At 23 feet down off of Treasure Island, I could see the eelgrass blowing like wheat in Kansas. Wow. It was clear. And they couldn't do it. Beijing in the Olympics, right? (laughs) Yeah, they couldn't do it for very long without, you know, causing major economic problems. But they did an experiment to see how long it would take for everything to settle. They were building like crazy from the baby boom situation. So they were gravel washing to get bedrock to build. All that dirt was going in the bay. They had a lot of construction and things that were unchecked at that time that were happening. Um, They were using the water for cooling at the steel mills. Uh, cooling water all along the shorelines from Berkeley all the way around to Antioch. So they just all stopped, and it didn't take just a couple of months to turn the bay clear. The sky was clear, and the sea was calm, really, really calm before storm calm. Hmm. And we went off of the Civil War base over on, <clears throat> excuse me, over on Angel Island. Mm-hmm. There's the old fort, the old Civil War fort. Sure, on the west side. Mm-hmm. And um, we're circling with a group of powerboats, and we didn't have a VHF. We just used a transistor radio. And it started getting so much static that we turned it off, and the static was from the incoming storm, and we didn't know. Wow. So the other boats that were in the circle with us, we were all kind of checking with each other about, are we okay here? And, well, the other boats are still here, so the fishing's pretty good. Maybe we should stick around a little bit. So these bigger power boats started going off to Sausalito and Belvedere and Tiburon. And there was one open boat with a man and two boys and us. And it's like, should we go into Tiburon or try to make it back to San Pablo Yacht Club, where we kept the boat at the time? And, and this, we, at this point, were things blowing up a little bit? We or? couldn't see it. It was on the other side of the island. Okay. But when we came through Raccoon Straits, we couldn't turn around. Oh. We were in seas five to eight feet. We're in winds somewhere around 80 knots. My mom went down below and we followed her and said, are we going to die? She said, put these on. She said that was the only time we didn't argue about putting on those big orange life jackets. (laughs) (laughs) And she said that she was going to stand opposite my dad and she wanted my brother standing on each corner of the back of the cockpit area and to try and keep the out, this big outboard that we had, 300 and something outboard off the back, um, keep the prop in the water as we we're going, tipping over these waves. Mm-hmm. And one of us had to stay in the bow. And as we went over the waves, we were supposed to throw our weight forward to help us get over the wave. Wow. She said, it's gonna be too scary, but remember this, if a wave ships in from the back where we sink and water comes blasting through the cabin, get behind this bulkhead wall and wait, take a big breath and wait until the water stops rushing and then blow open the the foredeck hatch and swim out. 
Don't wait for anybody to come to you. Anybody tries to come to you, both die. I'm eight. It's like, okay. Wow. So we all did this. And then every 10 minutes we rotated so nobody would get too scared up there. And when I was rotating out to the cockpit, I noticed the little boat was struggling behind us until we were about halfway across and then the little boat was gone. Hmm. It didn't make it. Hmm. A man, his son, and one of his Sea Scout boys. Oh, and we couldn't turn around. We got in and that, that told me we need to pay more attention to the weather. We needed to pay more attention to the boats around us. And I started studying clouds so I could catch the weather even if I couldn't get a radio report. Was it scary? Yes. Was it life-threatening? Yes. Was it a real unusual occurrence? All that above. But it was a shift in thinking. Boating isn't just for fun. Boating is self-rescue. Boating is knowing how to take care of yourself and those around you. And if we had been able to turn around, absolutely we would have. But we couldn't. Yeah. You have to make sure that when you're trying to help someone else that your boat and your your passengers are safe too. My dad was ex-military, so absolutely he would have turned around. In dire situations, I remember going down the coast and we were flying. I mean, the man who owned the boat had never gone that fast in his life. We were doing 15 knots, <laughs> surfing around Andrew Nuevo in um, 35 gusting to 40 knot winds with 15 foot seas and surfing these seas and just having a blast. And then I saw a flare and, some, and we pointed at the flare and the driver immediately crashed our boat. No. Okay, lesson there. Never point in front of a driver when they're concentrating. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't look over there. <laughs> we saw the second flare, and then we were just using our nose to point it out. But mm. um, uh, three boats veered off and went over and helped the boat that was in yeah. trouble. Everybody helps each other on the water. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, That's the reason people wave at each other. I've got your six. Yeah. We'll back you up. No, it's it's kind of an unwritten rule of the sea. Well, it may it, be it a written a, rule. It's a written rule. There's yes. actually um, a fine that starts around $1,000 if you could help and don't on the water. Yeah. There are around the same number of Coast Guard as there are in the city of New York that cover all of our major lakes and waterways and seaboards, east, <laughs> west, and south coasts. So we have to look out for each other. We have to look out for yeah. each other. You know, we can call the Coast Guard. They, there's three different kinds of calls when we want help, and there's only one that the Coast Guard will come out for. Mayday. That's it. Yeah. Pan Pan is somebody else come give us a hand. Yeah. So, so I'm curious that um, it didn't turn you off of going out on the water. It was a scary situation, but your reaction was, I'm going to learn more about this. That's exactly my reaction. Yeah. Why do you think? Education changes it from fear to excitement. So when did you, you'd been motorboating with your family, when we were introduced to sailing? Um, I tried it a couple of times in my 20s. My, my family sold the powerboat when I was 17. And I met my, I, I boated with some friends in between. And then I met my first husband when I was 19. And his family had a 25-foot powerboat an old PT boat, hmm. and we used to play on that. I think in my entire life, there's only been like two years where there wasn't a boat access ready <laughs> there, right? It becomes an addiction of sorts, doesn't well, it? Well, it becomes part of you. 
you know, I've had men come and say that they want to learn to sail, their wife isn't interested. I, and when they talk about the things they want to do, I have to ask, do you like your wife? Do you want to stay married? If you can't include her, this is going to sweep you away. And it's, it's going to be that old joke of, you know, my wife said it's me or the boat, and I, I, I kind of miss her now and again. But the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too common a story. It's like it's like you know my cat or me, you know, or, or the you know you you have to choose your pet or or your partner, and who would do that? Somebody that's incredibly insecure. You know, yeah. boating is something that enriches people, and it turns your world into three D. Because you're thinking about what's going on in the sky, what's going on by looking at the trees and the smokestacks and everything around you. So it's like you're seeing the wind. You're seeing the wind's footprints on the water. I once told a little girl the white caps are the wind skipping. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> she just like wanted that. to go play with the, with the little <laughs> wind person over there. It's, um, I like that analogy as it turns life into 3D. You really have to be hyper aware of the moment. Not just the surface. You have to think about what's under it. In San yeah. Francisco Bay, our average depths are not much, so you have to really think about, I don't want to go aground here. Yeah. You know, um, this is an overrun river basin, so we're, uh, we're on the edges of the banks a lot to stay away from the big ships that, that take the main channels. Going aground is something that happens every weekend for somebody. You're thinking about the contours, and the tides change depending on the depth. You right. can see the colors. Sure. You can see the texture changes. You can actually see that when you're when you're sailing from point A to point B. It's like. But back to how you you got introduced to sailing. Do you remember your first time on a sailboat? Oh yeah, it was on a little Zephyr. Uh huh. It's a flat bottom, fifteen foot, fairly narrow boat. Two big men and myself, with me in the middle, went out of Cal sailing, and we went around, which is in Berkeley. Yep. And we went out around, over by Alcatraz and back the mm -hmm. first time. Oh. And that yeah. was pretty risky for a little tiny boat like that mm -hmm. but the guy bob that owned it was really capable and good the next time we circumnavigated angel but let me stop you there what you, you said it was a little risky for a small boat do you remember what you felt was the exhilaration i love this or was there any fear or was there an understanding of what was happening it wasn't a motorboat it you know no, it was no engine, no no yeah. smell of gasoline. So no. what are your memories of what you felt? The memories, I remember the second time more than the first. Mm -hmm. But the first time I just thought it was fun. We ran out of wind. We had to paddle for a while, and then the wind <laughs> came back. So it wasn't the normal slot, which yeah. is the super windy place here in, in View Probably of Gate. Probably good for the first time. But no? the second time we went out, we went around Angel Island, okay. and there was one of the big Coast Guard cutters coming through it. And when they kicked up the engine, they, they created a huge wake. Yeah, and those we things surfed it. Big wings. And when we surfed it, we got shot into um, the first time we just rushed. And then the second time, the first wake was in front of us. So the second wake shoved us into the first wake. Oh, gosh. So Bob got smacked with the wave from behind and it washed around and hit my husband in the front. And then it shoved us into the first, into the wake. And then it hit my husband and washed around me and hit him. They, they both got smacked in the ears on both sides. And I stayed dry in the middle, was laughing hysterically. <laughs> we, we, we sailed back, and I was like, oh, I absolutely, I'm down. I love sailing. Let's do more of this. And he was not for that at all. So um, that's where I went as soon as we separated after 10 years. I went to sailing. To sailing. And what did that look like? What, how did you go to sailing? Was there so many different aspects of sailing? 
Which um, aspect did you? My friend knew that I really liked the sailing, so uh-huh. she set me up with a mutual friend I'd known for seven years, too. Uh-huh. Um, both of us were going through separations and divorce, and so I didn't know. He didn't know. But um, one of our first dates was sailing. That's great. And we had a moment saying, sailing really close to Alcatraz where I lost control of the line and we almost hit the island because hmm. we were sailing with too much sail up. Yeah. And we should have reefed, but we didn't. And I got control of the line. We were able to tack away. And then I wanted to learn more about this. One of the things I was concerned about was, uh, let's do a man overboard. Oh, I don't want to litter. We won't be littering if we pick it up. <laughs> um, how about if we throw a cushion? I don't want to lose a cushion. I want to buy it. They're cheap. I'll buy you one. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, let's use a box then. No, that's littering. You know, so, okay, fine. So he didn't want to do it. He didn't know how. So then I also wanted to learn about spinnaker. And, oh, girls can't sail with spinnakers. Girls really shouldn't even be racing. This was his prejudice of his boat partner. And I knew both of those were silly excuses, particularly coming from lawyers. They were just silly excuses. (laughs) They expected me to buy that. So I, I was a vice president of a software company at the time, and I just really was not thrilled with the answers. So I found a group that I could take some classes in and I had to take a test to see what I knew and I missed two questions and I still remember one of them they said if you're becalmed drifting in towards an island and the waves and the tide are pushing you towards the shore and you can't get your engine to start and there's no wind what do you do they gave us some options and I thought we could scull our way away from it but with wakes that would have been hard Remember, we ran out of wind once and we paddled. So I suggested that. That was another option I could have suggested. Mm-hmm. And the obvious answer of anchor, <laughs> I completely missed. <laughs> well, you'll remember it now, that's for <laughs> I'll sure. I'll never forget it. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, tests are really kind of valuable. After sailing here for a while in, in 84, I first met ASA, where you could really learn stuff. And yeah. it was I'd been volunteer teaching for the Oceanic Society for a year and a half at that point. The first class they had me teach was Spinnaker in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, wow. It's like, okay. And I had two people that were teachers for other schools at the time. That Both those schools have failed since. But I had, they were a couple, and I asked them to help me because the guy who wrangled me into this and gave me his boat to teach on suddenly couldn't go. <laughs> I'd only sailed Spinnakers three times in my life. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. I love it. Trial by fire. Okay. Um, so... I take them out, and they almost caused the boat to crash. They terrified the students, and they were yelling at each other. And I said, that's it. You're in that corner. You're in that corner. Neither one of you talk. (laughs) I just took over the class. And Mikey, who was similar body size to a linebacker, (laughs) part American Indian, and just this huge, kind, cool head, was frozen, stiff, with the pole positioned, still attached to the spinnaker, to go right through his middle. He had disconnected it from the mast, okay. but he couldn't. It was holding he was too him, frozen yeah. from their yelling to send it across in front of the mast to do the job we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to him and just started talking really quietly until I got a little flicker of recognition. He started coming back in. His eyes were just blank. And then I just peeled his fingers one by one off of the pole so I could shove it clear of his body mm-hmm. and clear the mast. And he just suddenly came back uh, in, back to us, and then he helped me finish up the, the jibe. And 
So that's why we're the no yelling school. I love it. Because it it makes people into frozen rabbits in front of headlights. They yeah. just, they will do an auto job and they will not think, they will not function well if you're yelling at them when they're trying to learn something. And it's so, <clears throat> I mean, I, it's something that I know I, I need to work, continue to work on, but yelling happens way too often on boats. I guess it's stressful situations. It's how they learn. Yeah, yeah, it gets passed along. If you along. learn from somebody that did that and you had fun anyway, mm -hmm. then you tend to repeat it. Mm. It's normalized. Uh, it, it's what they think they're supposed to do. Right, uh-huh. When they go cruising, they can be Mr. Mellow, super great host, and always anticipate things and keep everybody engaged and take full responsibility. But when they race, they become this other personality. I met several of those. And I asked, a, asked a lady about, she was telling me about how she went out once and she'd never go again. And I said, what happened? She told me about all the yelling. I said, was it in a race? She said, yeah. And then I asked her to describe what it was like and what the person was like other than racing. And I said, oh, okay. Was, he's, was this his name? Was this his boat? I said, <laughs> the person I used to sail with, that was the person he learned from. <laughs> you know? And I've just seen this over and over again. When somebody has that penchant, ask them who they learn from and ask them if they want to make another choice and how they function. All the real pro crews, the ones that win a lot, don't yell. I was a race coach for about 10 years out in the Bay. The boats that are consistently in the top five do hand signals and minimal conversation. When a new person gets phased in, they accept their drop back in the fleets standing just to train in a new person kindly and they'll work their way back up and it's okay. Wow. Learning is okay. And when they start working together, they're just so smooth. I had a team of my own for about 10 years. Uh huh. And then part of us would go and help another team reform. And, and what boat was that racing on? Um, it was a boat named Renaissance. She was the first one I bought for a fleet. And what type of boat was she? She's, she's sort of a cheater. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's a cruising Don't style. Don't make, make you reveal any secrets here. Well, she's hull number five, and they were so well done in the Balt uh, in Finland. There were runaways from the Swan in the Baltic Yard that created this more affordable family cruising racer boat. And this particular boat looks like a cruising boat. She's sleek, but she looks like a cruising boat. And in fact, in one race, I had a bunch of people that had imported their racing crew from L.A. and all over say, what's that cruising boat doing here? And snicker, snicker, snicker. And so when we got to the first mark to turn, that same lead boat that all the rest of the four fleets that started in front of us were following said, what's that cruising boat doing here? And I said, starboard, actually. And they said, dang it, Andrew, port. They had to go around us at the mark. So when we got, all ended up back at the Corinthian Yacht Club, they brought in divers and everybody to see if something was wrong with their boat. They just didn't understand tides and currents. <laughs> and we did. And my boat is really fast, and she surfs. Um, we sustained 17 knots for four hours around in Conception. Whoa! 12 knots I can do in the bay when she gets a wave under yeah, her. Yeah, nice. What size? She's a modified fin keel. She's 34 feet. Okay. And it just surprises a lot of people that she can move yeah. like that. And when you sail in the bay, she's very sea kindly. So people that have light, dancy boats that lean a lot and scare you, they get on her and it's a spoiler. It's like it's just not fair. 
<laughs> then I get on any other boat, and it's like, hmm. But I looked at her body design when I was, I looked at 50 different boats when, before I bought the first boat for the first fleet to start my first school up in Venetia. And I need this as a center cockpit. A lot of people are 30 feet phobic. Uh-huh. They need to be on something less than 30 feet okay. because bigger than that scares them. Mm -hmm. But with a center cockpit, they don't see the other six feet behind them. Mm. So to them, they're in a 28-foot boat, and they're really in a 34. <laughs> you know? That's a good trick. And she was versatile enough that I, I knew her. I, I sailed her for two months before I finished buying her. I had to sail her in the ocean because that's where we kind of excel as our offshore classes. And I wanted a boat that would be easy to manage by one or two people. Yeah. Because when you're sailing in the ocean, you're doing it in shifts. Right. With one or two people on deck yeah. and everybody else resting for their turn. So you you mentioned, you happened to mention that you started your first sailing school in Benicia. Mm -hmm. So tell us how that happened. What was the name of that school? Swift Sailing. Okay. <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> That's great. I love the name. I did a, um, <clears throat> a sailing quarterly um, video um, Robin D. came and spent a week with me, and we filmed all over San Francisco Bay. And Gary Jobson used to in be the introduction for those. Oh, great. And he was one of my writing heroes and one of the first sailing professionals that made a full career of it and supported a family doing it, and I thought that was awesome. Um, he's also a delightful person. And um, he had refused, after one experience, to ever uh, co-introduce, you know, ever have anybody with him when he was introducing segments. But after he uh, saw theirs and listened to my voiceover on it, he's, he wanted me on there with him. Very cool. And of course they picked November. <laughs> we did all this filming in summertime. <laughs> they picked November to do the intro. Oh, gosh. And it was 35 knots and slantwise rain. And I had Ooh. a single-handed 35-foot Beneteau from Richmond to San Francisco so we could do some filming on the boat. So Dee gets me on the radio. And I didn't have a handheld with me. I had to go below, so I didn't have auto helm. I, I didn't even have a wheel lock. I had to jam a cushion to hold the wheel there. <laughs> it was too rough to motor. I had to sail. So I went down and I'm talking to Dee on the radio and she was really into double check, recheck, double check, recheck. She's like, Dee, <clears throat> I'm going seven and a half knots at a rock wall in 35 knots um, with very poor visibility and my sails are still up. I need to go back to the cockpit, although I appreciate going through the things several times. We need I need to get back to the helm. Is that okay? She goes, oh, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so I jumped to the helm and get up there. And of course, the, the cushion had fallen out and the boat was just really careening towards this wall. So I get us all sorted, get everything sorted out, and get the sails down. And Pier 39 has six knot currents rushing by their slips. Yeah, not an easy place it's to not dock. Not an easy place. So I backed in so I could back into the current. And it worked with the wind direction, and it worked with the current. And I was so proud of myself about that part. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I docked it, got it all tied up, and went up. And um, Sheila Best, who was the harbor master, was, had just gotten some fresh English tea from her sister. Mm -hmm. So my hands were so cold, I couldn't work the door handles. And they came and oh. got me in. Oh. And then she comes and sticks this hot tea in my hands, oh, and I just warm them up. And two little faces start, you know, with the fingers on the door jams and just their just their nose and eyes sticking around the corner and it was Gary and Dee looking at me going you made it in <laughs> I said yeah mm -hmm. so when we we're <clears throat> I told them I'd meet him for lunch as soon as I got into dry clothes and um, we were 
sitting at the Alcatraz restaurant that was there at Pier 39 at the time. And I told him, uh, my name is Mary Swift. And he was like, no. Nah. <laughs> I said, yes, that's my name. And no, you have to show me your driver's license. I don't believe that. <laughs> so, I, so I did. And he goes, okay, so your name really is Mary Swift. I went, yeah. And he said, um, and then Dee pipes up and she said, and her school's name Swift Sailing. And he had to see my business card. <laughs> We've been friends ever since. It That's was really great. fun, though. That's um, great. There's just moments like that that just kind of stick out for you. You know, like bashing up the coast with a lady who had single-handed the Atlantic in 88. There was a moment when I asked her, I said, I sail because it's fun, but this is not fun. They said 5 to 15 knots, and we had 35 to 60. On the nose. Mm -hmm. Big seas. Um, the boat was going airborne. We blew out every sail slide between the tack and the third reef point. And one zip, it went. Oh, gosh. Dolphins helped me get a sail back on board. A lot of funny experiences happened on that trip. But when I was asking her, I said, you know, I, I sail because it's fun, but this is not fun. I'm not liking what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> I said, tell me it will be better tomorrow. And she said, Mary, I make no promises for the sea, but mostly she's mellow. <laughs> and that morning, I, my dawn watch gave me an abalone sky and a cloud bank to one side and the green hills of the Big Sur coastline on the other side. And it was just stunningly beautiful. It actually brought tears to my eyes. Mm. So, yeah, I keep sailing. Yeah. You know, it's something I do enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> I try to share that joy with people. Those moments when they for learn. those special moments. Yes. Even enduring the parts that aren't quote unquote fun. There's mm -hmm. different types of fun. There right? are. <laughs> <laughs> they have some word for that, you know, where it's so extreme that <clears throat> it's fun later. I yes. What is that word? Do you know? Um, I don't know what the word is, but I've heard. I've definitely heard people say, you know, type one fun, type two fun. Mm -hmm. Yes, fun that you're proud of it afterwards, but in the moment it was miserable. Tell me when, when writing came in for you. They were going to rewrite Gary Jobson's book that we used for 20 years and come up with a new Sailing Made Easy series. Okay. And they asked for the instructor evaluators, because there's only 60 of us on the planet, uh, to um, send in writing examples and um i was the only woman on the team there were a group of us wow that did the writing for that so it was good to have a lady's voice in there yes important <laughs> to have that diversity so i that was a fun project it was um when when was that that you were doing that i think it was eight through 11 or something okay 2008 and through 2011. the first book came out in 10 the second book came out in 12. okay did you start after guard sailing? Yes. Okay. This is my third one. This is your third. So you had the school in Benicia, swift sailing. Then what was... And I joined a, a lady who owns Passage Yachts. Okay. In Benicia, the harbor and people around there decided they didn't want a kids program. Okay. So I talked to her and she wanted to, she had a son. She wanted to have something that would encourage young people to. And then... Because it was partly a brokerage, that didn't work well because mm -hmm. all the disruption of all the happy people coming in and chatting away in the main area when folks are trying to sell Sure. Those two very different things, school and the and, brokerage. Yeah. And talking about your finances right next to people. Anyway, yeah, yeah. it was just yeah. it was difficult. 
uh, partnering. I wanted to create a separate space for the school and that was not good. So I took a hiatus, went over to Florida for a while. I found the ladies in Florida were three to six years behind the women here and the way the men and women interact with each other there. Interesting. So I came back. Mm-hmm. Cal State Monterey Bay was just setting up. And my mother needed some support with some health issues. So I stayed with her and created a program for Cal State Monterey Bay. Cool. That was where I hurt my back. Okay. I had to do rehab, so I came up here, and Don Riley was doing her America's Cup. And she wanted a legacy program for kids, so I helped her set that up. And as I was starting to get stronger, I thought, well, maybe I can just skip her boats. So I tried ferries. I tried tugboats. I tried different kinds of dinner boats, and I got so bored just standing there. Mm. I actually asked the dinner boat group, is there anything else I can do that isn't running up and down the stairs? (laughs) They said, you want to cook? I said, oh, yeah. (laughs) I cooked for about two years for them in my off time and um, on 45 and 75 foot boats, and then those were fun. Three-hour tours, you know. Yeah. And then... um, What was the impetus then for you saying, no, I want to do a start a third school? uh, Well, I... I was running an instructor clinic, and one of the guys that wasn't passing said, you've got to go talk to Lake Merritt. It's like, really? An offshore skipper wants to talk to Lake Merritt? Mm. He goes, no, no, no. They're trying, they're trying to create open water, and they want to do a pack cup thing, and they need you. So, mm. And they want to go ASA, so you should go talk to him. And Kerry Salisbury was running it at the time. He was an amazing, amazing, charismatic guy. He looked like Michael J. Fox and had an attitude like Archie Bunker. <laughs> He was an EMT and former Coast Guard search and rescue. That description. <laughs> That's great. And he was the most amazing person with kids. He was uh-huh. just great. He just in people supporting what he did, he brought in about 30000 a month in donations and wow. grants and things. Because he just knew what he was talking about and was just great with kids and the program. So understudying with him for a couple of years was fantastic. And then they did a shift of who runs what and everything changed. Mm. Um, when I left, I had people from there calling me for two years, pressuring me to open a school. Mm. So um, I was married again, um, and my new husband said he would support it, if knowing if we involve kids, we would not make any money doing it. That just kind of goes with the territory. Okay. We learned that from other boat owners, other school owners. Yeah. And um, you can be self-supporting once you get everything in place, but it... But starting up is so hard. Yeah, you just put all your profits into the youth side of things. Yeah. And we did that. And we now have our own 501c3 and all that stuff. He passed seven years ago, but he was the one that encouraged me to create this. He and the other teachers that had come from the Lake Merritt scene and... It just keeps evolving, and all these, I swear, angels are bringing people like Abby and... <laughs> Abby, who's um, sitting here with us. Patiently, yes. <laughs> and, um, and, and others in this group are all... They, we've done, I think, one ad asking for help. How Everyone else the just name walks Ab- in and says, I want to work here. So that's <laughs> been wonderful for us. Where does the name Afterguard come from? Afterguard means the person at the back of the boat guiding and advising the skipper or the owner about the best way to reach their goals. I like it. And that's the afterguard. Okay. So when we were looking for a 
a school name that would have ASA in the name, since we're an American Sailing Association certification school, ah. we thought that would be a good match. Um, that Paul said, well, Mary, you are the afterguard. <laughs> I don't necessarily think of myself that way. He goes, but other people think of you that way. And so what about Afterguard Sailing Academy? Because we already had the Sailing Academy part. We just couldn't right. come up with a sailing with word a. with an A, right? And That's Paul funny. came up with it. So Paul Oliva, I give him total credit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and what year did you start the school? Did you oh, start Afterguard? This yeah, is our 20th anniversary this year. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. For people who aren't familiar with the school, give us the quick pitch on Afterguard Sailing and what you provide and your ethos here. It's kind of a family orientation. A lot of ladies are involved. We try to make everybody feel welcome. We focus when they first ask us about classes or charters, what their goal is, what they want. And then as after guard, we try to help them get there. There's a lot of courses in addition to the ASA that fill in for different kinds of goals. Tell me about some of those. A lot of people that come here are interested in going cruising mm -hmm. or flying places and sailing in different destinations. And so we have two different kinds of classes, class tracks. So we have zero to ocean, where you start with a dream and you can end up a competent and capable and safe ocean sailor. Mm. So there's offshore boat prep, there's um, heavy weather strategies, there's things that are touched on in some of the ASA courses, but they aren't really explored in any depth that we've expanded on. The small boat classes, I was the one that wrote the ASA 110 small boat course when I was with Lake Merritt because they had such a brilliant example of what it was. And so with Carrie Salisbury's help and help from a couple of other ASA people scattered around the country, we came up with a small boat class for people that wanted to learn through ASA because they're a cruising focus versus immediately get the kids into racing. Everything here is kind of cruising focus. It's, it isn't, when I'm sailing next to people that are racing all too often, I see just terrible sail trim. Hmm. We were sailing by the lead boat in a group near South Beach Harbor and they were on a beam reach with their sails in tight which means the sails should have been halfway out because the wind was inter intersecting the boat at 90 degrees. You need a 45 degree angle to get the lift that you need to move. And so they were just barely moving and we sailed up next to them and trimming our sails, we literally sailed all the way around <laughs> them <laughs> and then sailed next to them. We're inching by them again. It's like, watch us. And we sailed around them again. They still didn't get it. And it's like, oh no, I don't want to embarrass them anymore. Off we went. But it's, and everybody was copying their lead boat. You know, so when people leave here, if racers can get a hold of them from our 103 students on, they try to pull them into the racing team. But it isn't really racing focus that we have with them. I, I told one of our star students yesterday who's doing the Clipper Around the World Cup. Oh, wow. Um, and his girlfriend, they're both in that. He said, I don't know why a cruiser's doing the Around the World race, but the thing I like is the professionals don't yell. <laughs> the professionals really know how to trim their sails. 
Is he? And that's they, what we try to teach. <coughs> our oh, what leg are they doing? Or are they doing multiple legs? They're doing the whole thing. They're doing the whole thing. They're going all that's the way around a, the world. Wow, commitment! And they bought a fifty-six foot Formosa called La Soul that's mm. up here that they're restoring. Wow, wow! It's already been around the world twice in. with Bob Bitchin from oh, Latitudes yeah. and Attitudes. Sure, sure. They bought yeah. his old boat. His old boat. Yeah, sure. I know. I've seen pictures of that boat. And they're living aboard it, and they're working on it. <laughs> when they get done with the Clipper Cup, they're, they hope to have their own cruise. Wow. On the fast track, they're going to get to see all the way around the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'll do it first. <laughs> they're going to walk the course before they pick their own destination. On the Clipper race. <laughs> oh, gosh. Since Abby is here with us, yes. I want to quickly ask her her, her impressions. We'll ha- sure. hand on the mic just a little quick. We'll get back to you in a second, Mary. But um, So, I Abby, I wanted to quickly – we met at the, the Svensson's uh, sprinkling boat show mm-hmm. and I'm so glad we yeah. did because I've been meaning to talk to Mary mm-hmm. but uh, we've been had trouble connecting how'd you get involved in which you've obviously gotten more involved since you mm-hmm. started taking classes here what was it that drew you into Afterguard? what's special about this place I well I'm a travel nurse so I came out to California because I had always kind of wanted to come out here and before I got out here, I knew that I wanted to get into the sailing scene. Yeah. San Francisco is kind of well known for being some of the best sailing in the world. So I got on um, Facebook and was kind of like getting into groups that were for cruisers in the area and asking who would be a good person to go to in order to kind of learn um, and get out on the water here in the bay. And the same student, Joe, who um bought La Soul and is doing the Clipper race, he kind of responded to me, and he's also a travel nurse, so we kind of had this connection, Um, and he told me that he was kind of living and working around Afterguard and suggested that I come check it out, which I did, and it was kind of an instant click for me. Um, I was able to kind of meet a lot of kindred spirits here, and... I like the family feel of it because it is very much like a family feel. Um, And I started taking classes and just love being out on the bay, love being in the the slot. It's like some of the best experiences. Like, and I've had a good amount of experiences in the year and a half that I've been sailing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how I got into Afterguard. I'm now working for Afterguard. And now here you are working (laughs) for it. And now here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I've done um, marine upholstery, or at least when I first got into sailing, I was Uh living on the boat with one of my um, friends, and he needed some upholstery work done. So kind of in exchange for living with him, I reupholstered his like salon cushions. What a great (laughs) skill to have. Yeah, he appreciated it. A lot of our boats are like older boats Uh that haven't really been... Um, worked on as far as canvas and upholstery goes so there's a lot of opportunities here to just like learn some more with canvas work so we just got a sewing machine and we're starting to kind of work through our big long project list of a a whole fleet (laughs) it is a sail right yes so you now have two skills nursing Mm -hmm. and upholstery that you can take cruising and go anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's the dream (laughs) thank you abby that's awesome Mary, what haven't we talked about? Sounds like you have so many stories. We could do multiple interviews here, but is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to mention, either about your experience or the school? In 2016, and we started doing destination sales. Mm. And right now we're doing, we've been doing one a year, okay. going different places. And I'm trying to get my team trained up so I can 
say shoo, go have fun. But I've yeah. been um, one of the boats on the trips um, to, our, we're on our way back to Croatia a second time. Oh, what a We went to place. northern Croatia the first time, and uh-huh. now we're going to central. We're going to split. So you the uh, next charter one, multiple boats? Yeah, we, we usually do. We've got one catamaran and one monohull. Okay. Um, we've had as many as five boats. Wow. It depends. When we went to... Mini t- rallies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went to Tahiti uh, last July. Mm. And um, I think there was... Was there five on that one? I think there was. I was in, yeah. I was in Tahiti on a charter in July as well. Oh, were you last yes, July? Yes, we might have crossed paths. We may have. <laughs> we um, really enjoyed that trip. We got to see a lot of the islands. Which yeah. islands did you go to? Uh, we were mostly in Bora Bora. We took one out of Reitea. Okay. And then um, visited Taha and then... Went across to Bora, um, went across to Kuhini, which is north yeah. Yeah. of that uh, of Rete- is like the Islanders Island. Uh huh. And we found that one was not as touristy, and was the mm. people were so nice. And then uh-huh. we came back through, um, you know, the pearl farms and all this, right. all that's at Taha, and then went over to Bora Bora, and yeah. I really enjoyed the backside of the Motu more than any of it. And we stayed there like two nights, and then we worked our way back. And explored more of Reatea and then, then turned our boats in. But we really had a wonderful two weeks over there. That's great. Oh, so you, I, I interrupted you, say, of Croatia, Croatia and then coming up, do you have other ones um, lined yeah, up? Right? We, with all of the more adventurous ones, twice to Greece, and um, now this will be our second one to Croatia. We've um, also done the windwards. We haven't done the leewards. Oh, okay. And so we're looking at this winter uh, when it's cold. and yeah. Probably January. Going down to the go, Christmas winds. We're going to go down. Actually, we'll we'll, we'll put, we've already I've already done Christmas winds down, oh, okay. in the, down in the windwards where it was even more windy. Yeah, and it was lots of fun. But this time we're going to go for the leewards probably and chartering out of where do you know? Uh, same time. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be the BVIs. Okay. Or um, you know Turtle, but probably. You have a nice that, base that's there. where I've, I've spent been there. most of the time. My time cruising was all up and down, down the South American, through up, through up, back through the leeward and the windwards, and it's just there's so what much. What was your to favorite see. place? What was your favorite island? Oh gosh! So my favorite place, because I lived there for a little bit, was a small group of islands called Lesaints that are just south of Guadeloupe. Mm. Uh, three small islands. They're they're, they're pretty magical, um, and also the Grenadines. The Grenadines, I think, when I picture just tropical islands with sand and, and palm trees, I think of the Grenadines. You do have a little bit of the PPP in your eyes. What is that? Post-paradise paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I c- can't get it out of the system. <laughs> yeah, some of those island trips just stay with you for yeah, a while. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, this has been fabulous. If people want to find out more about Africard, want to come take lessons here, where do they go? Afterguardsailing.com? Dot or wha- net. Dot net. Thank you. That's why I ask. Afterguardsailing.net. They can, it's info at afterguard.net if they want to just send us an email. Okay. Our phone number is 510-535-1954 because 1954 is when I first got out on the water. I love it. So it's easy to remember. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing us with us about the school and about your experience. This has been wonderful. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. Thanks for listening. 
You can reach out to me on Instagram at outthegatesailing or email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. And if you want to become a patron of Out The Gate Sailing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash outthegate. Until next time, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing.